My daughter and I was up at her rental property doing some work, and we both said that we felt very tired and worn out. We figured, you know, God, what, what do we got? We must have the flu or something. And over the course of the next few days, I just started to get really ill. My oldest daughter came by the house to check on me, and she said, Dad, you don't look good. So she hooked me down to the emergency room. She yells out to me, Dad, I'll wait in the car for you. Call me when you're ready. I remember turning around and said, okay, hon, I love you, I'll see you in a little bit. That was the last family member I saw for six weeks. My name's Randy Schieffer. I was born in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, but my family moved to South Florida when I was six years old and kind of grew up in the Boynton Beach, Delray Beach area. Back in the late 1950s and 60s, living in Florida was a dream. I mean, uh, I took up surfing and uh, surfed almost every day, and there was very little traffic, congestion, so we rode our bicycles all over the place. My father was my little league baseball coach. He taught me to fish, you know, he loved to go out deep sea fishing. I'd go to work with him on Saturdays. So my dad and I were, we had a very close relationship. The family was on vacation in New Jersey and um, about 3.30 in the morning, my mother woke up and started screaming and yelling that your father's dying, he's having a heart attack. Save him, save him, do something, do something, get help. And I was 15 years old at the time. And I remember running up and down the hallways of this hotel, pounding on doors, trying to get somebody to help. And then my mother would come out and say, get back in here, he's dying, you've got to do something. So I'd run back in and picked up the telephone and said, we need an ambulance. Eventually the ambulance pulled up with two police officers. And I asked them, you know, how's my dad? And he says, your dad's passed away. There's nothing that we could do. So that had a very lasting effect on me. And it was that time that I just said, you know, God abandoned me. He took my father. Why would he ever do that? So religiously growing up, um, I had no support. You know, God became a very distant figure in our lives. You know, very rarely talked about, if at all. Um, and we just didn't have any connection. I graduated from high school, and I started going to Palm Beach Junior College in law enforcement. My dad was an auxiliary policeman with the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Department, and that interested me. And I decided I wanted to be a police officer. Until one day, two buddies of mine walked in and he said, hey, we're going down to the Air Force recruiting station after school, do you wanna come along? So I said, no, I'm not going down to the Air Force recruiting, it's crazy. No, just come along, you don't have to do anything, just come along. Needless to say, six months later, uh, I was in the Air Force. About 18 months later, and I got an assignment to RAF Bentwaters in England, and I was in security police at the time and we end up staying in England for seven years. 
coming back from England, we went to Washington, D.C., and I started presidential security in Washington, D.C. during the Reagan years. And that was interesting, but I had a friend of mine. He was going down to George Washington University to check out a new program that they are offering called Forensic Science. And I said, what is forensic science? Never even heard of that. And he said, well, it's about investigating death and investigating, you know, crimes and things. And that interested me, being in security police. So in 1983, I graduated with my master's degree in forensic science. And I became fascinated with death and all aspects of it. The Air Force Office of Special Investigations came and recruited me to become a special agent. They sent me to Germany and I became the superintendent of the local detachment, but they also relied on my forensic ability and it would be send me off when there was a, a death, a homicide, suicide, aggravated assaults, child death, child abuse, anything that required a, you know, a forensic investigator to help investigate these different crimes. I retired from the Air Force in July of 1992. So I did 20 years and 30 days until the um, Ohio Peace Officers Training Academy uh, picked me up as a training instructor. So I started to train all the police officers in the state of Ohio in identifying evidence, and how to collect fingerprints and blood evidence and hairs, fibers. I taught the whole gambit. And then the attorney general appointed me as the deputy director of the police academy. I did that for 10 years and being a political appointment, uh, when a new attorney general comes in, I got to thank you very much, but you know, your services are no longer needed. I retired and um, we moved to Florida. And then in late 2019, the world was introduced to a terrible virus coming out of China that spread around the world very, very quickly. And no one knew how to cope with it. There was no medical protocols. My daughter and I was up at her rental property doing some work. And we both said suddenly that we felt very tired and worn out. My daughter suggested, well, Dad, maybe we had enough for today. I was 67 years old at that time. By the time we got home, both of us were just absolutely exhausted. We were so tired. And we went into the house and my wife was making dinner. And normally the house is filled with the smells of pasta sauce and things are being made and, and neither one of us could smell it. So we figured, you know, God, what, what do we got? We must have the flu or something. And over the course of the next few days, I just started to get really ill. Lost my taste, my smell, running a low-grade fever, developed a cough. My oldest daughter came by the house to check on me. And she walked in and she said, Dad, you don't look good. And I said, no, I'm, I'm fine. I just don't feel good. I'm, I'm fine. She goes, no, I think you need to go to the emergency room. So she took me down to the emergency room. I remember walking in. And by now, my daughter had parked the car. And they stopped her from coming into the hospital. Because if you remember, in early 2020, they had all the hospital restrictions. Family wasn't allowed in. So she yells out to me. She says, Dad, I'll wait in the car for you. She said, I love you. Call me when you're ready. I'll come pick you up. 
I remember turning around and said, okay, hon, I love you, I'll see you in a little bit. That was the last family member I saw for six weeks. So they put me in an isolation room and the doctor examined me. The test they ran came out positive that I did have COVID. Within a day, my kidneys failed and I went on dialysis. My left ventricle enlarged and started not to pump properly. I was bleeding internally, my liver enlarged. Every organ was in major failure. I was breathing so bad and did an emergency intubation on me and I was intubated for 31 days and put into a coma. And my daughter, the nurse, became the family advocate for the hospital and for the medical people. And she knew that I was going to die. They told her right up front, he's not going to make it, he's going to die. Well, little did they know that my family is just as determined and, and strong-headed as their father. And my daughter, Lisa, the nurse, she wasn't going to lose her dad. So she called a girlfriend of hers that she went to school with. And she says, you got to talk to my father. He's the infectious disease doctor. Her dad called my daughter. And he goes, whatever you do, he says, you get convalescent plasma for your dad. So she called the hospital and said, look, the family has talked about it. We want our dad to get convalescent plasma. So the hospital said convalescent plasma is really in its infancy. Maybe in two or three months, we'll start using it, but we can't do it right now. And she said, my dad will be dead in a day or two. So after several meetings that they had with hospital administrators, they finally said, well, if you can figure out how to get it, we'll consider giving it to him. My middle daughter took to social media and with the help of my youngest daughter, the nurse, they developed a post basically saying, my dad is sick. He's in the hospital with COVID. He needs your help. They had two pages of volunteers willing to travel to Florida to give me their plasma. Person they never knew. Miraculously, they found a young man in Pensacola, 30 minutes away, that matched. And he was a young pastor at a church. And he became my donor. Well, on Easter morning, my lungs had cleared enough that I started to breathe on my own again. My heart returned to normal size and started pumping adequately. Within three days of that, my kidneys returned to full function. My liver reduced, quit throwing blood clots, and I quit bleeding internally. When I came out of this coma, I knew something had happened to me. So when my daughter came in and she told me how sick I was, because I had no knowledge, I said, well, Lisa, I said, I wasn't here. And she said, what do you mean, Dad? You weren't here. I said, I, I traveled. Dad, it was a dream. You're just dreaming. You know, I said, no. I said, I had dreams. I know I have dreams. I can tell you those dreams. 
And I said, I had hallucinations. And I can tell you the hallucinations as well. I said, I have this other area that something happened to me that I wasn't here. And at the time, I was not familiar with near-death experiences. So I had no reference to talk about. But I told her, I, I used different terms then. I said, Lisa, I was in like a dark airplane fuselage. And I remember my consciousness. No body. I was bodiless. It was just my conscious. Woke up. And I was in this dark tunnel. And I was moving through the tunnel very slowly. And I knew I had died. I remember telling me, okay, you, you're dead. You died. But where are we going? The tunnel as I was coming through was warm and so loving. And I felt such an incredible peace and calm that I'd never, ever experienced before. And this tunnel was encased with a bright light. And I traveled through, and I have no idea how long I was in the tunnel. But when I came out of it, I was in a beautiful golden room. And it had a mezzanine. And I, I remember standing on that mezzanine. And suddenly I felt, could not see, but I felt the presence of someone next to me. And I was standing there just taking in the beauty of this room. Very high, tall, ribbed, vaulted ceilings. Beautiful gold inlaid in all the vaults. Huge, beautiful chandeliers hanging from the ceiling and the bright light radiating in through the windows and you could feel the warmth and the love. And I was just so inspired by this room when this spirit came up to me and it was in human form and he stopped a few feet away and I said, what a beautiful room. I said, this room is just absolutely stunning. And he goes, yes, it's one of our most popular areas. And I said, it's absolutely beautiful. He says, but you have to leave. You don't belong here. And he pointed over toward these big, massive, beautiful oak wood carved doors. And we opened these doors and I remember going out and I was in a beautiful golden city. Stunningly beautiful. Big sky rise, golden buildings with opaque windows as far as you could see up in the sky. And I traveled the streets of this city and I passed parks and the parks were absolutely stunning. Such a brilliant green and beautiful flowers and trees. And there were some children playing in the parks. And I kept moving through the city and suddenly I felt lost because I did not know my way back. And I sat down on, on like a, a sidewalk type of a thing and I was sitting there and I remember commotion movement around me but nobody was stopping to help and I was crying out help me I'm lost someone please help me and I felt cold and anxious and scared when I looked over my shoulder my right shoulder I looked over and I saw this big beautiful staircase going up into the sky I said if I can get to that staircase 
maybe somebody will find me. So my consciousness moved over to the staircase. But all of a sudden I heard a voice. There's Randy. And I turned around to see. And there was a man with long white hair with a white beard dressed in a beautiful white robe. And he's the one that grabbed me off the steps. And I went back into my dark sedated world. But my consciousness awoke and it was moving down a dirt pathway outlined in beautiful flowers and trees and there was a river that ran beside the pathway and i was moving down this pathway admiring the beauty and suddenly this little boy comes out and he was very animated follow me follow me follow me he was crying out so i followed him and he took me into this beautiful room and he goes you wait here and I remember my conscious moving over to the river that I had saw before coming up the path ran underneath this room that I was in I could see this river meandering off into the distance and I was sitting there just thinking to myself such a calm picture you know and so peaceful when this little boy came back in and he said to me he says i'm sorry he says you have to leave and i said i don't want to leave i said i feel so much peace and love and i said i feel so i feel home and he goes no i'm sorry your room isn't ready you have to leave and with that i was back into my dark little sedated world then suddenly my consciousness awoke and i was in a void nothing around no trees no buildings nothing but there were orbs of light that were passing by and i felt the presence of my guide again and he indicated to me that we needed i needed to follow him we needed to go into the void so we started to move into this void and off in the distance this little light came on and it started to get brighter as we moved closer and brighter until i suddenly saw my mother-in-law and she was sitting there very regally very straight and very proper you know and she was probably in her late 20s maybe early 30s in appearance but i knew it was her and she glanced over at me and then she glanced away and i was yelling at her Dolores, it's me, it's Randy. It's Randy, I'm here. I'm here, Dolores. But she wouldn't acknowledge me. And suddenly my spirit guide said, "We have to move on." So as we started to go deeper into the void, back in the distance, I saw her light slowly dimming and dimming and dimming until it just disappeared. And as that turned off, there was another light and it started to get brighter and brighter as we moved forward and i saw my dad my mother and my sister and they were standing there and their light started to slowly go out when off to the distance to my right hand side this orb of light caught my attention and it was coming up to me very very quickly and it stopped right in front of me and for a brief brief second 
it materialized into a human face. And he said to me, tell Madison at the salon her grandfather's okay. And he moved over to a white porch and he showed me the making of red, white, and blue ribbons and American flags. And I knew instantly he was a veteran. I just knew it. I just felt it. And it was right after he showed me him making these red, white, and blue flags that my spirit guide told me, I have to go. And I returned back to my little dark, sedated world where I was. So when I came out of coma, I was telling my daughter these stories. And eventually I was released from the hospital. Maybe a week, week and a half or so after I was home, and I had told my family about what I experienced. And my daughter said, well, Dad, who's Madison? I said, I don't know. I don't know a Madison. I don't know anybody named Madison. And she says, who is the man that told you that? I said, I don't have a clue. I don't know who he was. Well, how are you going to find Madison? I said, I don't know. But a veteran gave a fellow veteran a message and I have a responsibility to find her. So being in the hospital for, you know, six weeks, um, my hair was a little shaggy and I wanted to get a haircut. For some whatever reason, I was rummaging around in a, my dresser drawer. You know, it was one of these junk drawers that you never go in, you just keep throwing stuff in it, you know? And I was rummaging around for something, but I found a business card to a local barber shop. So I took it out to my daughter, my wife, and I said, hey, I said, could you call them and see what they're doing, if they're even open, and seeing how they're cutting hair for COVID. A few minutes later, my daughter comes back into my room. She starts interrogating me. Where did I get the card? How long had I had the card? Where did I find the card? Where did I get the card? All these questions. I said, Lisa, I said, what are you talking about? Just call and make me an appointment. She's Dad, I think we found your Madison. And she handed me the card. And on the card, clear as day, was written Madison Logan. I said, make me an appointment with Madison. So she took me down to the barbershop. And this little girl comes up and she goes, Hi, I'm Madison. She's, I think you're my next appointment. We sat down in her chair and my daughter told her how sick I was. And, you know, I still look pretty pale and sick at the time. After a few minutes, I asked, I said, Madison, I said, can I ask you some personal questions? And she said, oh, sure. And uh, I said, are both your grandfathers still living? And she goes, no. She said, the one grandfather that I was closest with passed away less than a year ago. And I said, oh, I said, was he a veteran? And she goes, oh, yeah, he's a veteran. She said he served in the army and talked about Vietnam, you know. So I'm talking to Madison, and I figured I had the right girl. And I said, Madison, I think your grandfather came to me, and he has a message for you. And she's kind of looking at me like, you're weird, you know? I said, Madison, your grandfather came, and he said, tell Madison at the salon that he's okay. And of course, she's crying. I'm crying. My daughter's crying. So finally, after we all composed ourselves, 
I said, Madison, I said, your grandfather moved onto a white porch. Is that significant? She goes, that was his house in Iowa. She said it had a white porch and he loved sitting on the white porch. And he used to sit there after he retired and just see everybody go by and talk to him. He loved sitting on his white porch. And I said, Madison, I said, he showed himself making red, white, and blue ribbons and American flags. Is that somehow important to you? And she stepped back and she looked at me like I was an alien with tears flowing down her cheeks. And she said, every Veterans Day, her whole family would go down to the American Legion to support him. And they would make red, white, and blue ribbons and American flags to their veterans' graves. Madison called me one day. And she said, I told my family your story and my grandmother would like to talk to you. And I said, I'd love to talk to her. So I called her and I told her, she says, okay, tell me this story. So I told her the story of the spirit coming to me. And she says, the man that told you that, his name was John. John was a veteran and that he served in the army proudly and was in a major battle in Vietnam and received medals. And he was a very proud veteran. And John died of a massive heart attack in his house by himself, which parallels my father's death as well. And she asked me, she said, did you see his face? And I said, just briefly, it materialized briefly. Can you describe it? And I said, it was a thin face, dark hair. I said, maybe a mustache, I'm not sure. She says, let me send you a picture. So she sent me a picture and I called her back and I said, Kathy, that's who I saw. And Kathy shared with me that she felt tremendous guilt and loss of John. And I think this is John's way to let his family know that Don't stress, don't grieve, I'm okay. COVID was a terrible, terrible disease that took millions and millions of lives. COVID saved my life. I have such peace and calmness now in my life. And it has totally changed me as a person. As a criminal investigator, I had a pretty intense personality, very much a type A aggressive personality, but you know, you kind of need that as a homicide detective because people are gonna lie to you, they're gonna deceive you, they're gonna hide things, and you've gotta find them. But to get to know you as a person, that wasn't me. After my near-death experience, I wanna get to know people respect their differences. I trust people more. I have a much deeper relationship with my wife and my children now than I ever had. Family and God come first now. Before, you know, it was work, 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 work. In a lot of ways, you know, I've I've missed out 
with that type of personality. Because, you know, dance recitals or a band concert or a birthday, um, I put my job first. You know, I needed to do a surveillance. I needed to do an interview. I needed to do analysis on a crime scene. I needed, I needed, well, my family needed me. Like my father wasn't in my life and missed out on so much. I am so blessed to be in their life and to experience their journey and to experience my grandchildren's journey. My kids and I have some very deep conversations about heaven and the afterlife and the meaning of, you know, of, of what are, why are we here? You know, what is our intentions here? And I don't sweat the little things anymore. So God puts me in people's lives who need that hope and understanding uh, and support that their loved one is okay, that they are safe, and that you're going to see them again. You know, I saw my mother-in-law, who her and I did not have a good relationship, um, but she was there. My mom, my dad, my sister, I saw them all. And I'm very, very much such at peace with knowing that I'm going to not only see them, but I'm going to see my family in the future. And that is a tremendous feeling to have. You got to remember, my world up to this point revolved around physical evidence. I had to have the blood, the hair, the fiber, the fingerprint to convict someone. So when I went to church, it was meaningless because nothing they said gave me my physical evidence that I needed to know that the afterlife was real. My feeling at that time is when you turn off the light switch, that's the end of it. You're gone. So yes, I believe in God. I believe in the afterlife because God showed me. And he knew that I needed that physical evidence to know. And those that have lost a loved one that says, gosh, my dad isn't getting to experience that, or my grandmother isn't here to see this. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. They're watching. They see what's going on. They know. And they pass their love on back to you in just the slightest of little ways. I see it every day, just a twinkle in somebody's eye or a crooked little smile that reminds me of my dad or my mom or someone. Every day I'm just in wonderment of why me? What did I do in my life to warrant this blessing? I didn't do anything. I was just a normal guy, had no relationship with God. So why did he chose me and give me this experience to share with others? I don't know, but why not me? Why not? He changed my life. And I think through my stories, I hope to share and change 
and give other people hope and a sense of peace and relief that their loved one is safe and they're okay and you'll see him again. I recently saw a presentation that really drove home with me. And it said, you know, if you look at your hand, we have five individual fingers. And individually, they operate at separate. So think of that as your life, you know. You're operating separately from others. See how powerful we are when we all can come together in peace and harmony and love and live our life that way. And I think that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to come together and love one another. There's no reason to bicker and fight and carry grudges. And that is all man-made that internalizes so much stress and energy that is really unnecessary because we're all here just to learn. Learn to love, learn to get along and experience this magnificent journey that God has allowed us to experience. I really think that that's what God wants us to do. Have us live our lives in peace and harmony with one another and come together as a unity and how powerful we are when we all respect one another and love one another.